Well, hello everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the FSLSO Palmcast. I'm your host, Jordan Morrow, and today we are joined by Mr. Fred Karlinski. He's an attorney and shareholder with Greenberg Traurig and a consultant on insurance regulatory matters. Fred, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you very much for having me today, Jordan. For those listeners who may not be familiar with who you are, can you start off by uh, telling me a little bit about yourself? Sure, I'd be happy to. I'm a native Floridian. I was born in uh, South Miami, Florida. I've lived here all my life. I went to school in Miami-Dade County, and then I went to the University of Miami, where I got my undergraduate degree in communications and sociology. Then I went to FSU for law school. I graduated in December of 92, took the bar in February of 93, passed, and I've been an attorney ever since. I am married. My wife and I, my wife, is her name is Autumn, and we live in Fort Lauderdale. We live in a place called Weston, a little suburb of Fort Lauderdale, and we have two kids, Allie and Spencer. Well, that's great. I know we have a lot of Florida State fans listening out there, so uh, go Knowles. We can always relate on that. Well, and hopefully Miami fans, too. (laughs) And Miami fans as well, absolutely. So tell me, uh, what kind of involvement do you have with the surplus lines market and regulation inside of Florida? So I've been doing insurance regulatory and transactional work really since I graduated from law school. On the surplus lines side, I have for many years represented the Florida Surplus Lines Service Office from a regulatory and legislative perspective. I also represent a number of different brokers and a number of different surplus lines insurers, both in Florida and outside of Florida. So we do a number of different things in the surplus lines market from a public policy perspective, from a legislative perspective, and from a regulatory and transactional perspective as well. And you mentioned uh, legislative. I know you have a lot of involvement with politics and session and things like that. And as you know, committee weeks have started. And for those of you who are listening who might be unfamiliar with the legislative process, Committee weeks are the weeks leading up to Florida's annual legislative session, with which uh, begins in March. What are some of the big issues surrounding insurance that you'll be involved in during this year's session? So the biggest issue for insurance this year at the legislature will be assignment of benefits. As everyone is very aware, we have this man-made phenomenon here in Florida and really did start in Florida. And I think in large part, it was because some of the plaintiffs bar and, and some of the adjusters, there, there weren't any storms since the 04 and 05 hurricane season. And so just like folks did with mold, calling mold is gold, right. and just like they did with sinkholes, which really weren't sinkholes, they were cracks, they created this phenomenon assignment of benefits. Assignment of benefits is where you go ahead as a homeowner and you assign your rights to a contractor and those contractors are all tied into attorneys. In many cases, unfortunately, in my opinion, those contractors are not looking out for the good of the homeowner, but they're looking out for themselves. Mm -hmm. They inflate the cost of the claim. Insurers are in a position where they either have to pay a very inflated claim or they have to fight it, which also costs a significant amount of money. So ultimately what happens is, and what's happened over the last couple of years is, homeowners' rates have gone up significantly because of assignment of benefits. I saw that after yesterday's committee meeting, someone in the restoration area said the insurers are getting windfall because of these rate increases. Nothing could be farther from the truth. The insurers are paying those dollars out, they're paying it out for AOB losses. I'm saying that in, in air quotes since we're on a podcast. The bottom line is 
The insurers are not making any money because of this. In fact, they're losing more even with rates going up. And the consumer is the one that really is getting hurt by this because they're paying more premium. That's really not related to legitimate losses. It's related to inflated loss costs. And I actually read an article just this morning that said that consumers have paid over $1 billion due to rising rates over the past couple of years from uh, AOB causing those rates to increase. But other states have passed regulation on AOB, but Florida has been pretty slow to pick up on that. What has been the biggest obstacle with getting those sorts of things passed through the legislature? The legislature and the opposition. So the last couple of years, one of the chambers, typically it's been the House, has been willing to do something on the AOB front. This year, we have new leadership in both the House and the Senate. They've both indicated a desire to do something and do something significant. So I think we will see some action by the House and by the Senate that will ultimately go to the governor for his signature. So your prediction is that this is going to be the year something's going to happen and it's going to get passed through, hopefully? My prediction is that we've got a really good shot at getting something done because everyone understands the problem. And it seems like the Speaker and the Senate President who rule those chambers, obviously you've got members that have their own opinion and the leadership will take those opinions into account. But the Speaker and the Senate President really do seem to understand the problem and want to do something to try and fix it because they understand that the real victim here are the policyholders. It's funny that you were the one to bring up AOB because in doing some research for this podcast, I came across an interview that you did almost two years ago. It was in March of 2017 where you spoke with AN Best TV at the Reinsurance Symposium at St. Joseph's University in Philadelphia. And during this interview, you talked a little bit about how AOB rates are going up. And I'd like to play part of that interview for you now, just about 30 seconds, and then I'd like to ask you a question about it afterwards, all right? Sure. I think that there is an understanding on the part of the legislature, certainly on the part of the governor's office, the CFO's office, and the insurance commissioner, that something does need to be done on assignment of benefits. Rates are going up in the state of Florida solely because of assignment of benefits. It's not because of Matthew. It's not because of Hermaine. It's because of assignment of benefits, which have taken the attritional loss ratio up in some cases as high as 20%. And so the legislature is looking at potential fixes to that. So one of the things that you mentioned in that video is that rates are going up not because of hurricanes like uh, Hermine or stuff like that, but solely because of AOB. Right. When you reflect on the recent devastation that was caused by Hurricane Michael late last year, do you still believe what that's true, what you said two years ago? Absolutely. Everything I said there, it, it's actually pretty amazing how I sort of had a crystal ball. I wish I could have that same crystal ball <laughs> when I'm picking lottery numbers. But what I said back then was that the House and the Senate have acknowledged a problem, but they seem to be on different planes and that rates are going up 20% almost solely due to AOB. Well, those comments that I made two years ago hold true today just like they did then, with the exception that if you roll fast forward, the Speaker has changed in the House the Senate president has changed. The governor, Governor Scott, was always wanting to do something here, but it takes the legislature to pass a law. I think in this particular instance, you have Governor DeSantis, who is a very smart individual who understands economics, understands the problems that these inflated claims costs are causing. And you now have, really more so than anything else, a Senate president who before, I think, was uncertain as to what the root cause of the problem is. But I think the Senate president now, President Galvano, understands what the root cause of the problem is. 
I think Speaker Oliva understands what the root cause of the problem is, and I am hopeful that they will pass something that will create meaningful reform for the citizens of the state of Florida. Well, I know there's been a lot of talk about this over the past several years, so maybe this will be the year that we finally see some change. Let's shift gears from AOB, and let's talk for a second about, are there any other big issues relating to surplus lines insurance specifically that might see some legislation passed during this year's session? So before I get to surplus lines, let me just say the other insurance issues that possibly could be out there would be PIP. PIP is a perennial point of discussion. Everyone understands that auto rates are higher than they should be in the state of Florida, again, in part because of fraud in the claims processes. And so PIP is always something that is on the agenda. Another thing that may be on the agenda is workers' comp, another issue that may be out there. A few years ago, the Supreme Court invalidated some laws that were put into place 15, 16 years ago that changed the way claims were um, adjudicated in terms of attorney's fees. And that was invalidated by the Supreme Court. And so there may be some discussion about that. On the surplus lines front, there's always small things that normally get tinkered with or people want to discuss. I think that the Florida Surplus Lines Association and the Wholesale and Specialty Insurance Association both have little issues that they want to go ahead and try to get fixed in the legislative session. So we'll see how those progress. Here at FSL, so we're definitely paying close attention to a lot of those things and report on them as they come through. As you know, Lloyd's is a huge part of the Florida surplus lines market and is almost kind of the godfather of surplus lines insurance in general. And a few months back, FSLSO's executive director, Gary Poland, joined you for a visit to Lloyd's in London. Can you tell me a little bit about that trip you had? Absolutely. So it was a great trip. Leadership Florida, which is a great program, if anyone who's listening, if they've not gone through Leadership Florida, it's a great program. Florida is such a diverse state. The intent is to get a group of leaders throughout the state really on the same page as to what the issues are in the state. So what Leadership Florida wanted to do is they wanted to do some trips abroad to really create more cohesion within the group because, let's face it, you've got people that went through that program. There's been 36 of them, so 36 years ago to today. So the view 36 classes. So the view was let's get people from all these classes, whoever can make it, to go over to London and share the same experiences so that you have that same vantage point back home, back in Florida. And so they did that. And one of the things I talked to the executive director of Leadership Florida about, Wendy Spencer, who's great, by the way, is um, she actually may be the CEO. I don't know, but she's in charge and she's great, uh, whatever her title is. And they wanted to go to London. And so they asked me to set up a meeting at Lloyd's. And I immediately thought, This is a unique opportunity because you had people from small corporations in Florida, large corporations, educators, all sorts of people who really don't understand how the insurance marketplace works in Florida, let alone internationally. And so I thought it was a good opportunity to highlight Lloyd's. I called my good friend Hank Watkins, who is the president of Lloyd's America, He jumped at the opportunity. Lloyd's is obviously a huge trading partner with the state of Florida and and our insureds here. As you know, Florida is the third largest state, really very close to second largest state in terms of surplus lines premium. And Lloyd's is our largest market here. And so what we did is we planned and did have a little seminar, if you will, for about an hour or so at 
what's known as the old library in Lloyd. So the Lloyd's building, if you've not been over there and not seen it, is actually a really modern building. They moved into that building in the 80s. But what they did is they took – and Lloyd's goes back hundreds of years – but they took the library – from their old building and basically moved it into the new building. And so it's iconic. And so what we did is there were about 150 people on the Leadership Florida trip. We took them all. They went into the old library and we had several speakers. We had John Neal, who is the new chairman worldwide of Lloyd's. He spoke and welcomed the group and talked to them a little bit about insurance. Then Hank Watkins, the president of Lloyd's America, spoke as well. And then I moderated a panel, and that panel included Gary Pullen, uh, our executive director. It also included Julie McPeak, who is the Tennessee Insurance Commissioner. And at that point in time, the trip was in December of 2018. She was still the president of the National Association of Insurance Commissioners. And we also had a fellow named Sean Letts from Marsh, the largest broker in the world, he's on the cybersecurity team. So Gary talked about Florida and the surplus lines market. Commissioner McPeak spoke about national and international regulatory issues. And Sean spoke about cyber issues. The interesting thing was John Neal spoke for a a good amount of time and, and everyone seemed very interested in his comments. Hank Watkins spoke as well for a decent amount of time. Everyone seemed very interested in his comments and everyone seemed pretty interested in the panel. But you never know. People were coming with jet lag and things like that. It was yeah. late afternoon. The most miraculous thing happened at the end. We probably had 15 questions and probably could have gone on for another hour just answering questions that people had about the insurance marketplace, Florida, and how it all worked. Everyone felt really good about going there and, and having that dialogue in the old library at Lloyd's. When we were done, uh, it was around 5.15 or so, we actually took everyone onto the trading floor of Lloyd's. And really? so they saw how it all worked. We timed it well because they normally do tours with like 10 or 12 people. So having 150 or so people <laughs> up on the trading floor would have been disruptive. But we got there right after they closed. So it worked out really well. And Gary did a great job. I mean, his comments were very well received and his insight was very helpful, not only to, to the group, but to Lloyd's as well. And, you know, when you're dealing in business, when you're dealing in life, you have this what I call the we know the guy factor. And I think it was really good for the marketplace as a whole to have someone of Gary's stature come over and speak to the group. I think it was very helpful for Florida companies that are buying insurance in the surplus lines market. But I think it was equally, if not more helpful, to have Lloyd's here, Gary's perspective as well. Well, it sounds like a fantastic trip. I know that Gary especially had a really great time with you over there. To shift gears a little bit, you have been tremendously involved in political, civic, and insurance-related matters throughout your entire career. But one part that really stuck out to me was your involvement in the Florida Constitution Revision Commission back in 2017. What was it like to be a part of a commission that is responsible for revising the state's constitution? So that was a very unique experience. I'm glad it's over. There are <laughs> bills out there that are looking at, and in the legislature, looking at doing away with the Constitutional Revision Commission. I don't think that's a bad thing. Florida is the only state that has a Constitutional Revision Commission. So we were mandated to go ahead and look at the Constitution and potentially create some amendments to it. 
We had, I can't remember the exact number, but I think it was around 15 public hearings around the state. We had several thousand people speak to us. The CRC happened, uh, this is the third one that's happened, but it's slated to happen every 20 years. So the first one was in the 70s, the second one was in the 90s, and now obviously the world is much different with social media and with email. So they, the last two, through no fault of their own, could not have had, because you didn't have the technology like we do today, the amount of input that we had. We had thousands of emails. We had thousands of phone calls. We had thousands of posts on social media that were talking about the work we did. At the end of the day, it was a diverse group of 37 individuals, 15 appointed by the governor, nine appointed by the Speaker of the House, nine appointed by the Senate President, three appointed by the Chief Justice of the Supreme Court, and then the Attorney General, Pam Bondi, was a member by virtue of her office. A very diverse group of people, and we had a very slim staff. We had a great staff, but there were only three or four full-time people. We had other volunteers from the governor's office and from other political apparatuses of the state. The House and the Senate had some volunteers as well. Bottom line is we looked at several thousand proposals. We ultimately whittled it down to roughly a hundred and then ultimately whittled it down to the ones that made it on to the ballot. And then the, the Supreme Court nixed the education amendment And out of all the amendments that were on the ballot, all but one passed, which really surprised me. And and not all of them came from the the CRC. Five of them came from citizens' initiatives or the legislature. The rest came from the CRC. So all but one passed. It was a lot of work, and I wholeheartedly believe that the legislature should have a discussion about not going forward with the CRC because it almost forced us to look at things. And it's just like everything else. I mean, you don't want to spend 18 months and not do anything. And so we did what we felt as a group. And again, it was a very diverse group needed to be done. I'm very proud of what we didn't do as a CRC, probably even more so than I am proud of what we did do. Well, that's a really unique perspective. And it sounds like a tremendous amount of effort. And you're right. It's interesting to think about if these commissions meet every 20 years, what is the next group in 2037 going to look like compared to two years ago in the 90s and the 70s and stuff like that? I know we're a little short on time, so I have one last question to ask you before we get out of here. And that is, when you look back on all of your involvement throughout all of your career, throughout law and politics, insurance, and everything else that you've been a part of, what are some of the accomplishments that you were the most proud of when you reflect on your career? I'll tell you, even though you asked in terms of my career, I'm still proudest of the way my kids, you know, the the book isn't written on them yet, but they're pretty good kids and I'm pretty lucky to have them and, and my wife and my life. So that would probably be my proudest accomplishment, just what we've been able to do as a family. But I think the fact that I've been able to build up a very large and respected, hopefully, insurance practice that started in Florida, but now transcends the entire United States and, in fact, internationally, to me, is is a huge accomplishment because we get calls all the time from companies all over the world that want us to help them and, and represent them. And so I'm proud of the work we've done. I'm proud of our accomplishments in business, and I'm proud of our reputation. I'm especially proud also of the fact that not once but twice I have assisted in the depopulation of 
our state's residual market. First, the Florida Property and Casualty Joint Underwriting Association, and now Citizens. I think people underestimate how exposed the state of Florida is financially and infrastructure-wise to hurricane risk. And I think what we've been able to do in helping to revive the private market for insurance in the state of Florida is nothing but miraculous. I think if you look at any other state and how well or not well they are prepared for any type of hurricane in terms of their insurance infrastructure, in terms of their residual markets for insurance, I think you're going to find that the work we've done, which I've been involved with and and a number of other people have been involved with as well, I think the work we've done here in the state of Florida is nothing short of transformational. Absolutely. Thank you for all the work that you've done for Florida as a lifelong Floridian myself. And you've definitely made an impact and a legacy. And thank you for giving us some of your time and coming on the podcast today. And it was great to talk to you, Fred. Thank you. Well, thanks for having me. And if I can ever be helpful to you or any of the listeners, feel free to contact me. Thanks again. Thank you. That's all for this episode. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, check out our previous episodes, which can be found on Spotify, Stitcher, iTunes, and our website at www.fslso.com. Join us again next time, and thanks for tuning in.